William was born into a sugar merchant's home. He had a teacher who was a secret Methodist. When his father died, he was sent to live with his rich aunt and uncle, who were friends with great preachers such as George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers and John Newton. He fell in love with Jesus. But when his grandmother and mother found out about the Christian influence in his life, they brought him home. He spent his teen years being raised to be an elitist, and by the time he entered college, he had abandoned God and wanted only to party and have fun. After the death of his grandfather and his aunt and uncle, he was left a fortune. He used his money to gamble and party, and when his best friend William Pitt decided to run for political office, William used his money to buy votes and get himself elected as well, making the two boys the youngest in Parliament. They fought in Parliament to end England's involvement in the American colonies and to end the American Revolution. But it was when he took a trip with a younger brother of his childhood teacher, who was a secret Methodist, that he was reunited with his faith. After becoming a Christian, he wrestled with the idea of leaving politics and becoming a preacher. But Pitt introduced him to a group of abolitionists, including a freed slave, who told him he could serve God and be a politician. He took this as his goal, to end the slave trade and bring manners back to society. After years of work, he finally had enough votes to pass a bill making slave trade illegal. But the pro-slave politicians bribed his MPs with tickets to the opera, and his bill didn't pass. The defeat sent William into a pit of despair and depression that almost killed him. And that is where we start today's story. Welcome back to Church History Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. We're continuing our story of William Wilberforce, and this is our third episode. I have some really fun things to share with you before we go on with our story. First, I've started recording the audiobook of our first book in the series of Church History books. Now remember, this first book will start with the life of Jesus and travel through the early church until the rise of Constantine. We're getting really close to releasing it, and I'm excited. The second thing I have to tell you is that I have an Etsy store now with church history swag. So right now I have mugs on the site, but I'm going to be adding some more swag. Now this Etsy store is going to have all the swag with church history quotes. For example, when William Wilberforce decided to end slavery, people told him the idea was impossible. His response was, we are too young to realize that some things are impossible, so we'll do them anyway. And I have a mug with that quote, which, by the way, would make a great graduation gift. I also have the William Wilberforce quote, Let it not be said I was silent when they needed me. And his most famous quote, You may choose to look away, but you can never again say that you didn't know. I'm going to have a lot more quotes from Church History on the Etsy page, so check it out. And I will have the link to that in the show notes. Now, currently, as I'm recording this, my shipper is only in America. So if you purchase from Canada, the shipping will be a little high. However, I am working on fixing that. And by the end of this week, I should have two options for each item, a Canadian and an American version. So you can choose which one you want to get better shipping prices. So please go on over there, check it out and share it with other people. It's a great way to support the podcast. Now, let's get back to our story of William Wilberforce. 
We left our story with William in despair and sick. He left to go stay at a friend's home in the country where he could rest and try to get his health back. When it felt like he could not be attacked any further, he got into a fight with his lifelong friend William Pitt. Pitt was the Prime Minister at this time, and his attention had been taken off the abolition movement and was focused on the war between France and England. Many people believed if the slave trade was made illegal by the English, the French would just take it over, and then they would have the economics to win the war. So the abolitionist movement was seen as being a traitor to England. To make things worse, some of the people in the abolitionist group were calling for a reformation in England. They wanted to overthrow the throne and be fully free country instead of the constitutional monarch that they were. And as an added flame to the fire, William Wilberforce opposed the war and believed England should do what it needed to do to end the war. William Pitt, the Prime Minister at the time, said if William Wilberforce didn't start showing he was true to the throne, he would be forced to break ties with him politically. He also told Wilberforce not to bring an anti-slave bill to Parliament until the war was over. William was devastated at the loss of his friend. It was during this time that he met Barbara Spooner. Now, at first, neither Barbara nor William were interested in dating or marriage. Barbara had heard William speak as a young teenage girl, and she had started a movement among her friends. She had convinced her friends to refuse to drink tea with sugar in it, and she grew into a young adult, and her political ideas had grown as well. She didn't agree with setting up English colonies. She believed England should not have soldiers in the colonies, and they should allow the colonies to govern themselves. She even believed cruelty to animals should be outlawed. She was against child labor, and most importantly, she was a devoted Christian who believed serving God was the most important thing she could do. The two found they had a lot in common and decided to be married. On May 30, 1797, Barbara Spooner and William Wilberforce were married. William Pitt came to the wedding and the two friends were reunited. They wanted to remain friends, but it seemed they were at a crossroads. But in truth, both men were correct. The slave trade did need to end, but no bill about the slave trade was going to be taken seriously during the war. They would need to find a new way. The marriage and reignited friendship started a new spark in William and he was ready to fight again. When the war between the French and the English ended, and we're going to get a closer look at that war when we cover the French Revolution. But for our story, the ending of the war opened up the minds of people to begin thinking again about the slave trade. William wrote a book called A Letter of the Abolition of the Slave Trade. The Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade began meeting again, and new members were added. A lawyer, James Stephen, and a man named Zachary Malachy and Henry Roman were added. Finally, in June of 1804, William's bill to end the slave trade passed through the House of Commons. All it had to do now was get passed by the House of Lords. However, the House of Lords had been closed already for this season. When it was reopened, too much time had passed, and the bill had to go through the House of Commons again in 1805. In a shocking turn, the House didn't repass the bill, and most shocking was that Pitt didn't support the bill. Meanwhile, Napoleon was on attack, and France and England were at war again. So once again, the slave trade became not important. 
We're going to cover the entire life of Napoleon in really great detail in a later episode. But as far as William Wilberforce was considered, the only thing that mattered as far as Napoleon was that he was taking people's attention off the issue of slavery. Once again, if you were trying to pass an anti-slavery bill, you were seen as a traitor and a supporter of France. The lawyer named James Stevenson, who had joined the group, came up with a solution, a bill that looked like a pro-England bill, but was secretly a bill to crush the slave trade. This gets a little complicated, so try to stay with me here. During the war, many of the battles were happening at sea. To be safe from attack, the slave ships were flying the flag of a brand new country called America. America was neutral in this war, and if they flew the American flag, they could ship slaves without facing any attacks. Some of these ships were sending slaves to the French colonies. The bill said that you could not ship anything to a country that England was at war with, and you could not fly a flag from a foreign country. William Pitt fully supported the bill. He agreed this was the perfect way to abolish the slave trade without bringing an anti-slave trade bill forward. William and the rest of the abolitionist MPPs were silent on the bill. In fact, they acted as if they didn't care about it, like it was a non-important bill. No one noticed until the very last minute that the bill was actually an anti-slave trade bill and it would cripple the slave trade. Once it was realized this bill was a secret anti-slave trade bill, the pro-slave trade parties tried to get all their MPs back to Parliament to vote against it. But someone had given them all free tickets to go see horse racing so they couldn't vote against it. And the bill passed, not outlawing the slave trade, but crippling it to the point where many slave ships were driven out of business. It was the 23rd of May, 1806, that the bill passed. However, William Pitt was not there to vote on May 23rd, and here is why. William Pitt was struggling as the Prime Minister. He had set up alliances with Russia, Sweden, and Austria to try to defeat Napoleon's French army. But a battle in 1805, the Battle of Alm, had brought the collapse of the alliance. It looked as though Napoleon was going to win, and the British naval supremacy was under threat. Pitt was under extreme pressure, and he became very ill. November the 9th, 1805, he gave a public speech as the Prime Minister. It would be his last. In January of 1806, just a few months later, people began calling for him to resign not because they didn't like him, but because they were trying to save his life. But just a few months later, in February of 1805, William Pitt died. Two months after his death, the bill that crippled the slave trade passed. Wilberforce had lost his best friend and political ally, but he continued to work. He finished his book that he had written called A Letter on the Abolition of the Slave Trade. The 1806 election Slave trade was the main election issue. The idea of buying votes was going away. People were seeing that their vote was important, and people were using their votes to speak. That year, many abolitionists were elected as MPs. Wilberforce was re-elected again as the MP for Yorkshire. His book was published that year, 400 pages detailing the slave trade. Finally, February 23, 1807, the bill abolishing the slave trade passed. In the audience that day was John Newton, the man who had once been a captain of slave ships, 
and who had inspired William to fight to end the slave trade. John Newton died 10 months later. While he lived to see the end of the slave trade, he did not live to see the end of slavery. March 25, 1807, the anti-slave trade bill was given royal assent, making the slave trade officially illegal in England and in any English colony. Four years later, in 1811, Spain abolished slavery, including all of its colonies, although Cuba rejected the ban and continued to deal with slaves. Two years after that, in 1813, Sweden banned slave trading, and a year after that, in 1814, the Netherlands banned slave trading. Three years after that, in 1817, France banned slave trading, although the ban would not take effect until 1826. In 1819, Portugal abolished the slave trade. Around this time, Britain started placing naval ships off the West African coast in order to enforce the ban on slave trading. But around this time, William Wilberforce had come to realize that ending the slave trade did not mean the end of slavery, like he thought it would. He had assumed that if the slave trade ended, that would mean the entire concept of slavery would end. But he was realizing that was wrong. Now, some good things had happened. The trips on the slave trade were no more. That was good. The slaves' value had increased since they could not be replaced, so they were not seen as disposable and more emphasis on safety had been brought to the plantations, and that was good. Slave owners realized the only way to get more slaves now was if the slaves had children, so there was an emphasis put on place to promote families. But slave markets were still happening, and people were still slaves. Slavery had not ended. It had adapted to the laws. The worst thing was that the anti-slave people thought they had won, so they had stopped fighting. But they began again in 1823, when Britain's Anti-Slavery Society was formed. And of course, William Wilberforce was a member. Now, this time, they were not trying to end the slave trade, but they're trying to end slavery entirely. A whole new fight. William was now in his 60s. The slave trade, remember, wasn't his only goal. He had two goals, to end the slave trade and to bring manners to society. When he had started in his early 20s, no one cared about children. As young as six years old, children were working up to 14 hours a day. Sexual abuse was everywhere. Alcoholism was out of control. 25% of unmarried women were prostitutes, and the average age of a prostitute was just 16 years old. If that was the average age, then you know very young girls were working as prostitutes. Babies born to the prostitutes would be left outside to freeze to death. And executions were held publicly and were a spectator sport. Blood-hungry people would come to watch people be killed. These were all things William was fighting to end, while also trying to end the slave trade. Now, as a young man in his 20s, people had told him it was impossible. His response had been, We are too young to know what is impossible, so we'll do it anyway. But now, in his 60s, reality had seeped in. February the 22nd, 1825, after 45 years of service, William Wilberforce retired from Parliament. But he continued to speak, and other abolitionists continued to fight. In July 26, 1833, the House passed the bill abolishing slavery in the entire British Empire. It was now against the law to own a slave anywhere in the British Empire. 
A friend rushed to get the message to William, who was on his deathbed. He heard the news just four days before he died. July 29, 1833, William Wilberforce died at the age of 73. That same year, the Factory Act passed, making it illegal to hire a child under the age of nine in a factory and allowing children 10 to 13 to only work a couple hours a day. Ten years later, the Mines Act passed, making the starting age of worker to be 10 years old. While this seems crazy to us now, these two acts were actually the start of the ending of child labor. Then, August the 14th, 1868, something happened that no one saw or knew anything about, but that changed England forever. Thomas Wells was executed. However, his execution was held inside the prison. From that day forward, there was no more public executions. Queen Victoria came to the throne on the 20th of June, 1837, and the time, known as the Victorian Age, started. Just four years after William's death, the Victorian Age started. The slave trade and slavery itself had ended in England, and morals were officially popular among the elitists of society. Now elitists had to be seen as pure and caring about the poor. If you were not part of a society that raised money for the poor, that was simply not acceptable. Child labor was ending, public executions were done, modesty was popular, prostitution was no longer acceptable, and no longer was royalty bragging about their sexual immoral behavior. Instead, family values were highlighted by the throne. The impossible had happened. And what about the anti-slave movement? Well, really quickly, I'm going to talk about some things, although a lot of these particular things we're going to talk about in full episodes later. 1846, the Danish abolished slavery. 1848, France abolished slavery. 1851, Brazil abolished slavery. 1858, Portugal abolished slavery. 1861, Netherlands abolished slavery. 1862, U.S. President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the emancipation of slaves, which would come in effect January 1, 1863, and in 1865, the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution banned slavery. 1886, slavery was abolished in Cuba. In 1888, Brazil abolished slavery. And it was in 1926 that the League of Nations officially abolished slavery, and in 1948, the UN adopt the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, including an article that said, No one should be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade will be prohibited in all forms. Now, while we learn about the transatlantic slave trade here in the West, because it was the part of the slave trade the West participated in, we don't learn about the other slave trades. The trans-Saharan slave trade is one of the worst slave trades in history, and yet it is one most people have never heard of. It lasted close to 1,500 years. The trans-Saharan slave trade also took Africans from their home and sold them. If you listened to the earlier episodes on the Crusades, you'll remember the slave trade was happening all the way back then. Because the slave trade was not outlawed, there was no reason to keep slaves alive or to promote families. So, we don't have descendants from this slave trade today. In fact, many people see the trans-Saharan slave trade as a genocide because so many people died and those who survived were castrated to make sure they didn't have children. Around 9 million Africans were taken in the trans-Sahara slave trade. 
women eventually became the main target for the slave trade. Arabs would take women from their villages and sell them as sex slaves. For every man taken as a slave, three women were taken as slaves. Men were castrated to make sure they had no children and were used to work the fields and would be worked to death. In 1865, slavery had ended in the West, but in Arab countries it continued with no push to end, and it wasn't until the last 20 years that laws were passed to make slavery illegal in Arab countries. As horrid as the transatlantic slave trade was, the trans-Sahara slave trade was far worse. While generations have sat in school learning about the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade in our Western past, no education was given about the trans-Sahara slave trade that was still happening. The last country using the trans-Sahara slave trade to make slavery illegal was in 2007. However, no one has been prosecuted for owning slaves, and slavery in Arab countries is still prominent. Slavery is still happening today. There are more slaves today than there was when William Wilberforce was alive. In India, there's 18.4 million slaves. In China, 3.4 million slaves. In Pakistan, 2.1 million. In Bangladesh, 1.5 million. Uzbekistan, 1.2 million. And in North Korea, 1.1 million. If you go to Libya today, you could visit a live auction with slaves in chains and naked. Here in the West, we spend our time criticizing our forefathers and ignoring what's happening during our lifetime, making us just as bad as our forefathers we are criticizing. William Wilberforce said, you can say nothing, but you can never again say you didn't know. This podcast goes in order through history, but the hard part is when you have major movements happening at the same time. So next week, we're going to see what was happening in the Americas during the life of William Wilberforce. It was just a little thing. I think we call it the Revolutionary War or the War of Independence. So make sure you come back next week when we start our first episode on the War of Independence, and it will take a few episodes to get through. In the meantime, check out my Etsy page for some great products, and check out lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.